Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It is uh, Wednesday, August the 11th, 2021. Blessings on you on this Winsome Witness Wednesday. I want to talk today on this National Sons and Daughters Day about the spirit of adoption. That's right. It's National Sons and Daughters Day. You are in Christ, a son or a daughter of Christ, adopted in Christ. That is, um, that is an incredible gift incredible identity, a place in which we stand and a place from which we are then able to move forward into every other relationship of life. So I want to talk about that today and a funeral that I attended yesterday afternoon. So when your children can stand up and call you blessed, you know, you know, scripture says like, right, that's, that's powerful testimony. And that's what I witnessed yesterday. My friend Susan, her husband, Ken, uh, went to be with the Lord, and uh, the funeral was yesterday, and his children uh, rose up to call him blessed. And based on the testimony of Ken's kids, he was a very accomplished man. Now, Ken was accomplished in lots of ways, but it tells you something that other than referring to the fact that he was diligent in his work and worked hard and worked up until just two weeks ago, it tells you something that nobody actually talked about his work. (laughs) What they talked about was his faith and his faithfulness and his family. The testimonies of his his kids included um, things like this. My dad shared the gospel with everybody, everywhere, all the time. He served the poor, not as if they were poor, but as people. Um. He was always prepared to say yes when someone asked for help of any kind. They talked about his prayer life. They talked about catching their dad on his knees, praying for their family at odd hours and in, well, frankly, odd places. One of them talked about tripping over something in the middle of the night in the bathroom, and it was Ken's legs because he was kneeling in the bathroom over the tub praying for his family or coming down the stairs in the morning and seeing him kneeling in front of a chair in the living room, getting up uh, during vacation and finding their dad on his knees, praying for the family. Two of his daughters stood to bear witness to the life of their dad, and everybody in the room knew the unspoken testimony, uh, which is that there was a third daughter who went to be with Jesus when she was just a little girl. And that grief was a grief that Ken bore his entire life, a grief of the father's loss of a child. It was a grief he bore by faith in the goodness and the grace of God offered in Christ Jesus, but it was a grief that he bore nonetheless. It is a grief he bears no more. 
The service was a witness to the resurrection, and it was invitational. The pastor's own testimony included living for a period of time with Ken and his family in their home. And this is a pastor who said of himself, you know, I'm Mexican, and I said to Ken, you know, we, we, got, we got lots of people. And Ken said, bring them all. Bring them all. That pastor described Ken as a man of hospitality who had poured his life into every good ministry that he encountered. He was a man whose life was marked by ministry. And again, uh, you know, he was a very successful businessman. I still can't tell you what he did in terms of work. Why is that? Because he worked to live. He didn't live to work. Why tell you all this? Well, it's Wednesday. And one of the things at the top of my prayer calendar every Wednesday are these three words, winsome, wisdom, witness. Tuesdays are set apart for taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good, tasty Tuesday, things like that. Wednesdays, winsome, wisdom, witness. Bringing the wisdom of God to the fore in the midst of all the foolishness of the world. And so today, I wanted to bring you the witness of a young woman who stood up yesterday to tell us about her dad. And in so doing, she shone a light on the Father who is in heaven. Her name's Laura Valentine, and she talked about her dad. But at every turn in her testimony, the light was intensified on the gospel. She was born in China, but she was given a name and a family and a heritage and a hope when Ken became her father and Susan became her mother. Adopted. Adopted. Just like God does for each of us, she said through tears yesterday. So I thought today on this National Sons and Daughters Day, uh, while moms and dads are moving freshmen into college dorms and packing lunches to send first graders off to the first or second or third day of school or on your knees for your child who is wandering or lost or self-harming or addicted or angry or wounded or sick or in heaven, today's a day to remember. Each and every one of us, we're children, and we have a good, good father. Today's a day to remember that no matter how wonderful or pitiful our earthly parents were or are, we have a Father in heaven who is available and attentive, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and waiting right now to bless each and every one of us. Ephesians 1.5 says it most plainly, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Let us live into that identity today on this winsome wisdom, Witness Wednesday. Next, we have a testimony of transformation and redemption. A former strip club is now home to a church in Anchorage, Alaska. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Well, I was intrigued by a story that was covered by the Christian media, but it was also covered by the Associated Press, and it's a story out of Anchorage, Alaska. And here to share about it today is the pastor who's involved. His name is Kenneth Menendez. 
pastor of Open Door Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. Kenny, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So there's probably um, a number of reasons that we could be talking with you today about what God's doing in your city and in the life of your congregation. But let's focus in on what, you know, has captured the attention of many people, and that is maybe a location conversation. So talk with us about the story covered as a strip club becomes the home for a church in Anchorage, Alaska. Sure, sure. So uh, last summer in uh, 2020, we were actually looking for a building to start a church here in Anchorage. And uh, I had actually met uh, Linda Dunnigan, and uh, she had mentioned to me that uh, she had had an opportunity to purchase a, a uh, old strip club. And uh, so when that opportunity came present to her at the end of August, we went together to look at it. And uh, sure enough, it was exactly that. It was a uh, old strip club that had been inactive for about two two years. And when we took a look at it, uh, it we, we decided, hey, you know what, this, this could be a reality. We could demo this and turn it into a church. And so that's exactly what has happened. Um, talk with us about maybe the conversations you've had in the community and the process involved in this, I mean, this very real transformation. So really what uh, the the beginning transformations was between all the uh, the realtors and uh, and the building owner, of course, and then uh, having other churches out of uh, Beaver Creek, Oregon, Grandview Baptist Church, and uh, Open Door Baptist Church in Kent, Washington. Uh, we, we all kind of put our heads together into uh, getting the building prepared and ready. And then um, as far as the, the community goes and the city, uh, most people, uh, you know, enjoy the story. They love it. The uh, the actual club itself is right off of one of the main highways. It's the only way you can come in and out of Anchorage on the north side of town. And it's just been an eyesore that people look at. And it's been that way for years, even when the club was active. I can't, I can't count the times of how many times people have told me, whether it's just in person or random emails I get from people that have heard the story of people that have said that they have prayed that this place would close down and turn into a church or turn into something better uh, than what it was. And it's just amazing to see the the community really embrace it uh, as a church and that it's something that's a light really in the darkness because we're surrounded by, you know, there's a marijuana shop next door and uh, then there's an adult shop also next door. So it's not really the greatest area, but uh, people are really uh, enjoying to see that there's something good in the middle. So it's been interesting in preparation for this conversation. I've been doing some some research and some looking around. Um, it's not completely unique. It has happened before in a couple of other places. Um, right. But there's a, also this really vibrant ministry that, you know, I'll just confess, doesn't surprise me. And yet I wasn't really aware of. And that's outreach to people in the strip industry. And I, you know, I'll just confess, Kenny, that's just not a place that I have thought about um, you know, going to seek to reach people. I mean, I recognize in my city there are places where men watch women uh, in various stages and states of undress as a form of entertainment, and that you know, and that there are a lot of people who's who have this as a part of their sort of family story. There's no, you know, there's no sin that's any worse than any other sin in terms of what's going on in the culture. I guess I'm just curious, in terms of urban church planting in Anchorage. What are what's the variety of challenges you're facing? Well, one of the challenges is that there is a there is a lot of churches uh, in Anchorage, and a lot of those churches are uh, not really Bible believing churches as well. 
And so you have the, the challenge of sometimes people say, you know, well, you know, why should there be another church? And then as far as where it's located and all that, you know, the other challenge would be uh, some people maybe wouldn't be as comfortable coming to this area for church. I'd say the number is not very high on that, but that is something that is maybe looked upon as something that uh, it's not very churchy, you know, when you, when you see the building or where it's located. And, uh, and there's, there's, there's some more work to be done to the exterior of the building. And uh, that's something that would be more for down the road to make it more so that way. But really, it's been more, it's been more of a help, really, to uh, have the story. And when people see what you can do with the building, they can see what, uh, what can happen in their lives as well. And so, uh, really, it's it's been more more of a positive thing than than a challenge, I would say, as far as the church goes. If that makes any sense. Yeah, we are talking with Pastor Kenny Menendez, pastor of the Open Door Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. You know, one of the unique things about this church is its location. It is located in what was once a strip club and now home to a brand new church. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Continuing our conversation now with Pastor Kenny Menendez of the Open Door Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, Kenny, when you when you tell this story, what surprises people the most? Well, uh, I think what surprises people the most is that um, that it's up and running, and not only up and running, but when they when they see pictures of what it looks like on the inside, pe- people are just amazed to see how uh, a building that uh, was once used for such you know evil, dark purposes could now be such a beautiful uh, interior. Uh, when you come inside and, and people take a look at it, um, they, they would never guess that. And some people have actually come to the church that don't, don't really know the story or the history. And uh, and I'll tell them the story. And just seeing what it is now is uh, the most jaw-dropping thing to them uh, to see how you can't even tell anymore. And so I think that's the that's the biggest factor right there is is to actually see it. Yeah, which is a little hard on radio to describe, but um, I really do appreciate your emphasis and focus on the transformation. It's a it's a testimony and a witness. Like you have this physical, visible, tangible thing, a building in this case, to which you can point and see and say, you know, see what some people meant for evil. God is going to use now for good, and anything can be redeemed and. Any space can be redeemed and any person can be redeemed. And from the inside out, um, which is the process that you've even just described about the building, um, from the inside out, God is making you new. Uh, and so I, this this testimony to the power of, of God, you know, through Christ and the Spirit to make us new, to make us genuinely new creations for everything that was old and frankly sinful to be transformed um, forgiven, made new, redeemed. Um, we're just praying God's blessing and the extension of the ministry of the church, uh, Open Door Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska, that more and more people would be reached with the saving good news of the gospel through not only the testimony of your words and witness, but through the testimony of the building itself. It's such a good news story. It really is. And we, we've been very thankful 
you know, so many, so many details just besides the building. It's just been one miracle after another of uh, seeing God's power in the whole story. Kenny, thank you um, so much for joining us today. That's Kenny Menendez. He is the pastor of the Open Door Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, after our conversation yesterday with Linda from Indiana about um, the He Knows Your Name ministry, several of you sent me some pro-life stories from around the country. One of those um, is related to a billboard in Texas. This billboard was up for one day. One day. Uh, the billboard is, uh, it has one, two, three, four, five words on it, and then a website. That's it. Five words and a website. No images. The background of the billboard is is completely black. The lettering is in white. It's a super-duper simple billboard. Like, it's as simple a billboard as you could ever possibly see. Here are the words on the billboard. 62 million dead and counting. Here's the website. IgnoreRow.com. That's it. That's the... That's the entirety of the website, or I mean of the billboard. 62 million dead and counting, ignorerow.com. The billboard had to be taken down one day after it was put up because the landowner received death threats. Uh, The landowner did not commission the billboard. The landowner did not authorize the billboard. Like, right, the billboard is managed by an advertising company. Um, The billboard was paid for by Abolish Abortion Texas. It's located in a rural area outside the city of Boyd, Texas. And literally all it contains are these words, 62 million dead and counting. There's no there's no images of uh, of babies on here. There's there's there. There's nothing here but words. But so triggered were some people in the culture of death by the thought that someone would ignore Roe or advocate that others ignore Roe or that people would be seeking to reverse the Roe v. Wade decision passed in uh, 1973, that they were threatening death to the landowner where the billboard uh, is located, was located for one day. It was up one day. So, Uh, The reason that I wanted to lift this to your awareness today is that I think we have arrived at the point in time in the culture where those who advocate for death, and and this is not only going to be true in terms of their defense of and advocacy for um, abortion at any stage of uh, of life and development of the child and for any reason or no reason at all and at taxpayer cost. Like, I think all of that is the determined outcome for those who are advocates of abortion in America. That's what they want. And I don't think they intend to stop short of that. Um, And so that's one front of this conversation. But the other front where this is really pressing forward rapidly in terms of the culture of death in the United States of America is on the other end of life. 
And I want I want each and all of us to be paying very close attention to what happens in the development of the conversation about the aged and the aging. And not just nursing homes, not just assisted care facilities, but the conversations uh, about the cost of health care and care for this fragile population and the value of their lives. And I want, to, I want us to be paying attention to that because this conversation is coming quickly, quickly. So how are we going to be advocates of life in a culture of death? How costly might it become? And how will we stand up to death threats from, from those advocating? I mean, you know, death advocates doesn't surprise me that they threaten death, right? And yet somewhere in there is a value of life. If you think that the threat of death is a threat, then obviously somewhere in there you value life. Maybe that's where we could find our talking points. All right, we got to take a, a brief break here for the news, and then we'll be right back. Kids require correction. From their toddler years to their teenage years, they need guidance and discipline. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. For the most part, I meet parents who have discipline down pat, but where they fall short is the relationship. They tend to mistake arguments for conversation and living under the same roof for spending quality time together. But without having a deep and lasting connection with your teen, Before the need of discipline arises, you'll find your eloquent lectures entirely ineffective. If your relationship with your son or daughter is broken or damaged, take time to repair it. Your pearls of wisdom can only be received when it comes from a foundation of a healthy relationship. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me again today, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Thanks. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am well. I am well. How are you today? Uh, Clearing out the cobwebs, so excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Uh, I have two really noisy steers in a trailer in the driveway stomping around. They are headed, uh, they're headed, well, they're headed to become, you know, they will no longer be on hoof uh, after today. And so I'm, I'm hearing that in the background of my life today. So there you go. It's always something, right? That is not one of the things I thought you were going to say, though. Well, there you go. I know my life is a it's this constant source of of general entertainment. Okay, let's talk about um we you and I are going to talk about some really difficult stories today. We're going to talk about people struggling um in in parts of the world where I'm just so thankful that Christians are present in these places and spaces and I love that you bring us those testimonies and so thank you for that constant connection to the Christian family in the wider world. Uh, bring us up to speed on what's going on in Myanmar. Well, Myanmar's been in chaos since the coup. Um, and once, you know, the coup removed the government, then somebody had to be in charge. So the senior general, the senior army general, um, Min Aung Lang, has been kind of running the show uh, as a leader de facto 
since the coup. Um, but this past week, he decided to take things a little further, and he appointed himself the prime minister, and he promised to hold the elections that uh, that were indicated back when the coup uh, occurred. Um, the 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 military promised that they were going to hold elections in 2023. Between now and then, though, because of everything that's going on between a third wave of COVID-19, between the chaos that's going on on the protests and the unrest as a result of the coup, um, there are a lot of concerns about what might happen. And because there's some question about whether or not the government under uh, the general would be legitimate, the the powers that be are taking steps to try to legitimize their government. So in uh, moving from commander in chief to declaring himself to be the prime minister of the country and to set elections, um, the state of emergency has been extended through 2023. And it just is one more thing on top of everything else where there's a concern that the whole country could go back under the rule of the military junta. Uh, in that situation, the United Nations has appointed a special envoy to try to keep uh, an eye on what's going on, to try to keep the government accountable, uh, to let some light in on what's happening in uh, the behind the closed doors in Myanmar. Whether or not that's successful is still going to be largely up in the air as to whether or not they're going to cooperate. But in this situation, um, what you're seeing is this, this gradual slide. Uh, I think what people are afraid of is the gradual slide uh, of a dictatorship um, moving from what was a, uh, an elected government into a coup, into um, a uh, caretaker kind of government, into this situation, which would very easily go into um, I, I don't I don't I don't know if I can call it like a kangaroo court type of thing, um, mock elections, uh, elections for show. Uh, in 2023. And I think that's what people are concerned about. Our contacts through Asian Access have been expressing a lot of concern about the loss of freedoms, the loss of free press, loss of free speech, a loss of, of the ability to um, freedom of religion, uh, their ability mm -hmm. to practice their faith openly, uh, which was already difficult in some places, but is now looking like it's going to be even more difficult because the danger with situations like this, with people who declare themselves to be uh, in power to do, to taking uh, the leadership of the country is that they can, they can turn anybody into an enemy. And what they're really watching is uh, that the, this particular uh, commander in chief does not target um, the Christians as um, maybe what he would consider not his allies. Uh, so there's some concern about that. And Asian Access is asking us to pray alongside the believers on the ground, the church networks on the ground, as they continue to minister in the gospel, but also because of the situation with COVID-19 and the severity of what's happening in that country, they're having to be the hands and feet of Christ in a very dangerous kind of a situation. Between the instability and the risk of catching this disease, um, there's, there's a lot to be praying about. Uh, and as we've talked with partners in places like Myanmar and Nepal and India and China, it's the body of Christ that uh, is, is watching and trying to respond to the needs because there's so few safety nets in place in a lot of these countries um, that uh, people who are unable to go out or people who uh, are trapped by the lockdowns that come as a result of these uh, these um, the situation with the third wave of infections um, have no way 
to get supplies, have no way to get food, have no way to get what little medicine is available, and really are at risk of just dying in isolation. So the body of Christ has been responding. And our friends in Asian Access, you know, are making sure that there are food packets that are getting out to the most vulnerable populations in Myanmar. Well, anywhere that they work. Uh, so China would be included in that. But specifically, because we're talking about Myanmar's situation, they're the hands and feet of Christ there. So be praying for them. Um, you know, we we have seen that as a result of their exposure, the leadership in the body of Christ in these areas um, is has been decimated by the disease, whether it is people who are just knocked out of commission for several weeks because of uh, the contraction of the virus or people who did not survive the virus, which has happened in large numbers in India and Nepal. Um, this is the situation facing the body of Christ. So be praying for them, uh, be praying wisdom because these situations are so unstable, you just really don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. One of the things that this story reminded me of, Ruth, and I just think that it's just helpful for people who are listening in the United States of America, when when Ruth says, you know, commander-in-chief, and she's talking about Myanmar, uh, it's, it's language with which we are familiar, but it's such a completely different system of governance. And so I just think it's a good opportunity to remind ourselves what we mean here in the United States of America by commander-in-chief with respect to our president versus what it means in a military dictatorship or a military junta. And really good um, time to, you know, acknowledge and and remember that we we follow a principle of civilian control of the military here in the United States of America, that U.S. armed forces are in the hands of civilian leadership. And there's a reason for that. We have civilian responsibility and control of the military um, balanced between the executive and legislative branches of our government so that what is happening in Myanmar um, cannot happen here. And so I just I, I think if there's a civics lesson almost every day when we turn to one of these stories. And so I just thought that that might be a helpful reminder for people. Um, I want to turn our attention um, to both India and China. We've talked about the story in India before. So let's let's spend a couple of minutes there. Well, as you were saying, you know, the the situation in India um, with regard to COVID has been very severe. Um, but in this case, the stories we've been covering uh, are, are uh, somewhat more difficult. Um, one of the situations that we were covering involved the uh, the assault on a nine-year-old girl. Um, mm-hmm. She was sexually assaulted by a gang of men. And then after they killed her, they burned her body to eradicate the evidence. And so then it became a case of her family making accusations against uh, this group of men. And it's a he said, she said kind of thing. And there's really nowhere that the law is going to side on that because it there, there wasn't any evidence. Um, in this case, because of the lack of justice or the, the slow pace of that, um, it led to a, a huge uprising, a huge uh, number of protests in India. And at the same time, we were hearing stories from uh, a number of other uh, partners who were concerned about some comments that a uh, member of parliament was making um, that really were uh, untrue I said false claims uh, against Christian missionaries. He was claiming that they were taking advantage of the religious freedom rights guaranteed by India's constitution and were ruining the culture of the indigenous peoples. So under that framework, he's trying to create a situation where he's going to be able to expel the Christian missionaries from India. So that would be all foreign Christian missionaries. And he's trying to put some um, 
legs to the uh, legislation that he is proposing to expel the Christian missionaries. The connection here is the Hindu ideology uh, that cr that creates something like the caste system. Um, you know, for so you have a situation where you have people who are considered subhuman. Um, you have situations where you have the Dalit caste who um, are so low on the system that when a situation like uh, that occurred with this nine-year-old girl happens, there's no motivation for justice because she's not really regarded as a person. To be female in India falls under something very similar to that. And to be Christian in India falls under the, the Hindu ideology of these are less than human people. We need to get rid of them. They don't have any value. They have no voice. They have no worth in in our eyes. So when you're talking about these kinds of difficulties in India, um, be praying for ministries because we were talking to Bibles for the World uh, as, as you know, in, in trying to connect the dots with all of these things. And, and really, it, the, the situation means that you need to have an overhaul of a caste system. And that's been something that people have discussed for generations upon generations, and it might not ever change. But within the system, we can be praying for the believers who are courageously speaking up and still sharing the hope of Jesus Christ, because that's the thing that breaks that kind of um, hold that an ideology like this has. Uh, the, the hope of freedom in Christ gives people worth, gives people uh, value, and to, to realize that they're loved by their creator um, is something that they, they don't usually hear in the narratives under the caste system. So that's why it's not a popular message with the people who are in power, like the uh, the Hindu extremists, the BJP party that's actually in holding the government right now. Um, and that is why you also see a lot of things like the anti-conversion laws coming into place, because it's also a shift of power, political power, because of the, the numbers of people that are in that are affected when they hear the hope of Jesus Christ, when they hear the hope of the gospel uh, and they turn to that, it means that you're suddenly moving uh, person A from that column to to column B. And it's just a situation they want to prevent. They want to stop it from happening. So they're taking more and more um, measures to really try to silence that, to try to put a penal code to conversions. Um, more and more states in India are actually looking at um, strengthening the anti-conversion laws that are on the books. I think there are like nine states now that actually have uh, a law on the books that severely penalizes uh, people who convert from one faith to the other and involves, uh, it also targets the people who are uh, involved in the proselytism in that situation too. Mm -hmm. So things have always been difficult in India, but I think what from our partners are saying, uh, they're looking at things to be even more difficult. If, if we can't even imagine what that's going to look like um, because it's already so unjust, so uh, unfair about what's happening. And yet the gospel rises to the top over that. And you see life changes and you see that it matters to that one person. It matters so much to that one person when they become a follower of Christ. I'm talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can read more about what we're discussing today at missionnews.org. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to pivot to China. That's up next here on Morning with Carmen. It's like the
All right, continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're discussing today at missionnews.org. Ruth, let's pivot um, to China. I know you have an update there for us about what's happening in Wuhan. Well, you, I'm sure you remember that Wuhan was where the uh, COVID-19 virus was first identified in terms of what began the, I guess what we're calling the world pandemic. Um, the situation with Wuhan was back then in 2019, they took extreme measures to try to contain uh, the situation and the spread of the virus with some success, but obviously not enough success because it got out and, and it spread. Um, the situation there being because they took the measures that they took, um, they were able to get uh, ahead of um, the curve a little quicker than other people, uh, other uh, provinces in China, other countries. Um, and I think there was some hope that for them, things were settling down. Um, but then with the mutation of the virus, what they're identifying now is more and more people are contracting the virus and uh, Wuhan, that has led to Wuhan taking extreme measures once more. Um, so what their plan is, first of all, is to test the entire population. That's like 10 or 11 billion or mil million people. Um, and every single person has to be tested for COVID. Uh, because they want to identify the Delta variant before it gets out, before it, too much happens. They're trying to restrict movement. Um, airports are shut down. A lot of the in and out uh, is, is going to be affected by that. Um, new restrictions are in place, including increased surveillance. And in some places, they're actually putting cash incentives uh, out there to have folks report on other people who are suspected of carrying the virus, um, it, <laughs> which is really uh, it, it it just kind of harkens back to the days of the Cultural Revolution when you reported on your neighbors, you turned in your family for different things. Um, in this case, there's a surveillance app that's being used by the government to track people's travel history and exposure status. And because they have this, uh, I don't I don't know if I should call it a bounty, because they have this cash incentive to report on people, um, the mm. app actually crashed because of overwhelming traffic. There, So mm. on the one hand, this seems like an extreme uh, situation, an extreme response. But on the other hand, um, if you don't take measures like this to try to control what's going on, to try to stop it, um, we're going to see, I don't know, I think people are afraid of what we might see. We cannot afford to have a repeat of what happened in 2019. And I, that's what they're trying to stop. Um, in this case, our partners, China Partner Ministries, uh, has, part, has, has, has uh, folks that they work with in the area. And there are concerns. Obviously, they're asking us to be praying. They're very concerned about the situation, not only um, for the, the safety of people, but also uh, whether or not they can afford to survive a situation very much like it was in 2019. Um, it doesn't stop the gospel from getting out, even though there are even more restrictions, even though China's cracking down on social media and really um, scrutinizing everybody and everything under the cover of trying to keep track of what's going on with COVID. Um, but the gospel's still getting out. The Holy Spirit is still working in China, and that's yeah. the thing that the ministry partners are wanting us to remember, is that the gospel cannot be stopped by stuff like this. Um, so they're encouraging us to keep our eyes on the, the main story of this, which is that the Holy Spirit continues to work, and people's hearts are changing, 
and church leaders are being trained. And even though things are going to get more difficult, it's not like China hasn't been there before in terms mm -hmm. of persecution. Um, so the body of Christ is rising up um, and they're mm -hmm. asking us to be praying for them. But this stuff also just keeping in mind that every time we talk about be praying for these partners and working in extremely difficult situations, you know, we resource them with our time and our concern and our prayer, but they also need to be physically resourced. So I'm just putting it out there. If God is laying something on your heart uh, about one of these stories and it resonates with you, or you feel like, man, how can I come alongside the body besides praying? Resource, physical resourcing does help. It, it allows them to have what they need to be able to enable the folks on the ground to be the hands and feet of Christ, to take the the good news out to people who've not heard it before. Amen. All right, Ruth, I um, I am excited about the Bible translation articles that you have posted, but we're going to have to leave those for a discussion at another time. Um, but let me direct people to the site, missionnews.org. Spoken Worldwide is planning 20 new oral translation projects. I found that to be a thrilling and exciting story, as well as Wycliffe USA, um, talking about the use of SpaceX satellites to accelerate Bible translation. So there's an intersection of technology and uh, the Great Commission that I don't want you to miss as well. All of it at missionnews.org. Ruth, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to lift up one, interna more, one more international prayer concern this morning, and this is in relationship to Afghanistan. Members of the Biden administration speaking um, under the condition of anonymity uh, have said that the Biden administration is now preparing for Afghanistan's capital, Kabul, to fall far sooner than feared only weeks ago. A rapid disintegration of security has prompted a revision of the already stark intelligence assessment, which had predicted that Kabul would be overrun within 6 to 12 months. That assessment is now 90 days. Um, they expect it to be um, to fall to the Taliban in 90 days. Another source said it could happen within a month. Here's the quote. Everything is moving in the wrong direction. Let's be uh, praying for a dramatic reversal there. Let's be praying for an outpouring of God's spirit in some kind of radical way. Let's be praying for the people who will be caught in the crossfire. Let's be praying for redemption um, and transformation. Let's be praying for life. Let's be praying for life. All right, friends, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.